Hello everyone and welcome to The View. I'm Eric Vieira. You are? Uh, I want to be Sunny. I want to be Joy. Never mind. Okay. Because I was going to say, if I'm Meredith, you can't really be Sunny because we don't exist in the same era. Oh, well, we could always bring Meredith back to the era of Sunny. True. Jeff or, and I have an unhealthy obsession with The View. Or I could be Rosie, you could be Barbara. That seems more like a, that seems more like a healthy dynamic for us. No, I don't want to be Bubba. <laughs> I don't want to be Bubba Wawa. No, I don't think anybody wants to be. I want to be Joy. I want to be Joy. Okay. I want to be Joy. I'll be... I'm probably more like a Whoopi now, I would think. Oh I'm my like, god, so, Lily, I cannot stand no, Whoopi. Like, like, stop interrupting Sunny. Stop it. <laughs> Sunny has valid points. Yes. Sunny is a lawyer. We have... Ve- we have... Yeah, we... Stop interrupting Sunny and get an actual spray bottle and spray Megan. <laughs> yeah, we, other than Gilmore Girls, all we talk about is The View. So stay tuned for our future podcast about The View, because that'll probably happen at some point. Okay, but for real, welcome to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Yes. I'm Eleni, this is Jeffrey. Yes, hello. I know last week, um... <laughs> There was some debate as to whether or not we would come back this week. <laughs> kind of like what happens on The View, where it's like, we might be back tomorrow, we might not be. Let's see what happens after the day's cat fight. Kind of same thing, no? Yeah, except we don't make breaking news on CNN. <laughs> no, but like when Rosie and Elizabeth had their infamous battle, there was talk of whether or not The View will come back tomorrow. So, kind of like that. Jesus wanted Elizabeth to come back. Yes. Jesus died on the cross for her sins. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah, so last week we didn't know if we are going to come back or not because Jeffrey, um, in the dying seconds of the podcast, <laughs> laid something out there and I was just like, what the fuck, Jeffrey? Yeah, she's not very happy with me. So Jeffrey told me that he does not like Michelle. Love-hate relationship. Love-hate relationship. Okay, his exact words were, I don't hate him, but I don't love him. Yeah, so love-hate relationship. Is that not what this the definition? I'm mad at you still. <laughs> But we made a commitment, and we're here. Okay, I can make you a list of the things that Eleni is still mad at me about from past it's arguments. It's true, I hold grudges. I know last week we also talked about how my grandmother's a baby. Sometimes I'm a baby. Yeah, so we can see. I can but see, so are you. I can, <laughs> I can see the family resemblance. But see, I'm, 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 I'm woman enough to admit it, <laughs> that sometimes I'm a fucking baby. True. Yeah. All right. So this week we're discussing episodes seven and eight of season one. Those episodes are called Kiss and Tell and Love and War and Snow. Yes, exactly. But before we jump into those episodes, and I have a lot to say about those episodes, uh, I know Jeffrey wanted to bring something up. Yes. Um, so if you follow us on Instagram, which you should, at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Do it now. <laughs> um, now. Most of like the graphics and like uh, images that you see on there um, were made by me. Um, with, with I spent way too much time on different apps making those pictures, so please appreciate them. However, when I was searching for them in what in a fashion that Eleni calls chronic overachiever, um, I found an article caught from Glamour magazine. So not BuzzFeed this time. No. Uh, called Confession. I used to love Gilmore Girls, but now I can't stand it. Um, and it's dated from September of 2016. So I guess that's a few months before A Year in the Life came out. Um, And it's basically just like, kind of, I mean, I've seen a bunch of different articles that are kind of like this, where it's like, hey, I used to love this really popular show, and now I don't. Yeah, so have I. And I kind of understand, like, why publications are interested in that, because, like, you know, everyone knows that show, so, like, 
people might be interested to hear why you don't like it, mm -hmm. clearly, because we're talking about it. So I guess there is some level of interest. So Point Glamour magazine. However, um, this article, okay. is, um, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of, it's a bit, I don't know. It's obviously one one person's opinion, so we're, we'll take that with a grain of salt. But it's kind of just pointing out that, like, in her opinion, the Gilmore Girls just is a bit dated and doesn't doesn't really hold up past the two thousands. But isn't that true of any show? It's definitely true of any show. Like, um, people are still like at this very moment as I speak, um, millions of people around the world are watching a Friends rerun, and Friends does not hold up in in a lot of different ways. No. Um, that is true of literally any any piece of media that has been created since it's the dawn of time. It's true of Frasier. It's true. I'm just naming shows that I watch. It's Roseanne. True. Roseanne. Who? <laughs> Roseanne. Girl, you went there. Yes, um, I did. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's even Will and Grace. Willing. Who? Will and Grace. Even the revival. I think. Like. Anyways, whatever. Yes. I'm not gonna. Um, okay, so, so no point to glamour because the no. <laughs> Fine, no point. I take back. Take back your point. Um, it be, like this article basically just starts saying that like the full version of the Gilmore Girls theme song called "Where You Lead" is a, apparently the full version of the song um, is about a man or, or no a woman happily giving up her dreams to follow her guy across the country. And okay, this, we've already said it on yeah. this podcast. Carol King, not your best. Song. Exactly, and this this artist, this artist, this author says not the most feminist statement. And like, I don't really like. I understand why you might like look for those kind of things to point out. When was out. this article written? Sorry, two thousand sixteen. Okay, so obviously in two thousand, like the whole feminist craze wasn't as big as it is now. No. So if you're going looking for something like that, you're not gonna find it. But also, as you pointed out prior to this recording, when we were when we were rehearsing, Eleni said, um, but like that's the whole point why they didn't include that part of the song yeah, that's in, why the, they in the show. Exactly. So oh. well, that's kind of, I don't know, a little bit of a reach. Never um, one glamour. Yeah. So, and then she says, as like a prelude into her full article, she says, I'd also come to find that on closer inspection, much of Gilmore Girls was better without a closer inspection. What does that mean? So I think it means like it's not a kind of show you want to like dig into. It's just kind of light and fluffy, like surface level material, which I... Oh, fuck off. It's a bit, I don't know. Um, but then, so her... her so that means she, our whole podcast is like... Pretty much. But no like, I don't think that really, like, I don't think that really has much... Like, I, like it's, it's one person's opinion, so it's fine. But like, I don't feel like that perspective is really, I don't know, positive or, like, you know, worth discussing, even though we are discussing it. I don't think it's, like, worth, worth, like, worth publishing, I guess, because it's, like, like, okay, one person doesn't like it, maybe other people feel the same way, but at the same time, like, you know, people are a fan of something for each individual reason. Yeah, so I feel like there's a tendency for people to believe that it's, it's easier or it's more worthy, I should say, to analyze dramas. Yeah. Um, than it is to analyze comedies. So, um, like, it's perfect, not to, like, keep harping on Game of Thrones, but it's perfectly okay for, like, a Game of Thrones podcast to exist and for people to, like, discuss their theories and what the mindset of the characters were. Um, it's perfectly okay to do that with, um, you know, name any other drama. Yeah. Like, like maybe Ozark, uh, like maybe the authors kind of get like chipping away at a at a bigger at a bigger view of like oh Gilmore Girls isn't deep enough 
to warrant like but that's the thing i think people think that like that's a blanket statement for all comedies yeah you know what i mean when in reality i don't know why yeah i don't know why we don't give writers of comedies the same credit that we do writers of dramas because i think i think my opinion they have an added like layer of pressure where they also have to they do have to you know write really witty and great um storylines but they also have to make you laugh yeah you know what i mean so i don't know why we're 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 kind of not giving them their dues because um their characters and their plot development and their character development is just as worthy of analysis or of deep thinking than dramas yeah and i think that's why i'm i'm more mad about I think this it's article kind of, yeah i think it's kind of like a more of a pretentious bourgeois kind of view maybe that yeah, this like, idea that we only watch comedies to like escape and we don't want to think about things yeah and like comedies have no real like comedies have no real depth right like i found i find i know more comedies that have depth over more more dramas that have depth. well that's it and i think that and i think the op- like the, the 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 fact that sometimes sometimes you know when a drama is f- like makes an effort to be funny they're kind of congratulated in the sense that they can still keep their their humor while also being dramatic like why isn't the opposite true why can't a comedy also be like have elements of drama without being like dismissed yeah you know which is I mean? kind of which is kind of ironic considering like i said i can name more like groundbreaking sitcoms or other television comedies that like have tackled such like real issue real yeah. taboo taboo issues in the context in which they were made right but like I know more. I know more comedies that have tackled things like that over dramas. Like just recently, I'm thinking of just because you said that a very recent example, um, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which I watched, um, tackled like a me. They had a Me Too episode, okay. and still did it with enough comedy that you did feel like, but you also felt, um, you know, like moved in a certain way. Yeah, and like I feel like dramedies, dramedies, dramas, like. Um, I feel like dramas like Grey's Anatomy or like just as an example are dramas just because they deal with like the medical field and are very like oh my god this disease this and that but like I don't know I'm just what comes what comes to mind when you say that is more like The Good Wife which was like right? kind of hailed as like or ne- even the, as, the new one The Resident too yeah, or like which was uh, kind of like hailed, The Good Fight or yeah, whatever it the is good fight. Um, The Good Wife was kind of hailed as like network TV's last good drama because like it was made at a time where we were shifting from network TV to more like streaming kind Mm of um, perspective. Yeah. So I think, well, I think The Good Wife was obviously a great show and very well made and very well written. But like, it's kind of like, I feel like publications and media would be more inclined to pray, to give praise to The Good Wife over something like Gilmore Girls. Right. You know, so it's kind of that same kind of um, bias. Yeah. So, um, the author goes on to say, like, Gilmore, she, I think she's kind of getting at Gilmore Girls, in her opinion, lost relevance after it went off the air, because she's like, um... You can't f- see me, but I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, she's, yeah, she definitely is. She says, <laughs> um, television moved rapidly away from family programming after that, which is not true, I don't think. I don't think so. Um, Modern Family, anyone? Yeah, or just like any comedy on CBS in 2007. Like, hello? <laughs> um, so she says, Mad Men and Breaking Bad were top dramas and boundary-pushing comedies like Louie and Girls were in style. Your okay, well, Louie didn't age well either, neither did, Neither did Girls. Louie <laughs> aged even less. Like, 
even less well because but, of all the allegations of sexual assault. And you refer- and she's referencing she's referencing two comedies on HBO, paid cable. Okay. Right. Okay. Great. Um, nostalgia chatter was around Arrested Development or Freaks and Geeks shows that have been canceled too soon and kept their potency. Gilmore Girls, which had been given a leisurely seven season run that ended on a, on a notoriously bleh Amy Sherman Palladino last note, was rarely referenced. Uh, okay, I don't know where you're looking, but Gilmore Girls is pretty well loved even today, I think. I think so. Yeah. So she goes on again to say that. She compares Gilmore Girls to Friends and say and says like unlike Friends, which arrived on Netflix a few months after Gilmore Girls in the U.S., which we were saying, yeah, is not true because yeah, in Canada, Friends was on before. Yes, um, it. She says it wasn't. She says Gilmore Girls wasn't a mega hit that grew ha- that half the population grew tired of in endless reruns. To fans, Gilmore Girls had remained personal and pure and special, which, given by the uh, gif of Lorelai Gilmore going, Bleh, I think she disagrees with that. Um, Look, like you said, it's one person's opinion. Yeah. Um, obviously, we still like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, if you're listening, you still like it. Um, but that's the thing. I think the I think this article just tends to like confirm my point that we dismiss comedies as not being intellectual enough, like to warrant a deeper analysis. Um, when, like you said, there are some comedies that do a great job. At and drama. I've re- and I've read more analyses of comedies and what and issues it's true, and issues that, like, yeah. and issues that they're chipping away at more than I've more than I like I, I mean I've I've also read like scholarly books about like issues tackled in these TV shows but I've, I've, I have I've read more of those and I've read of like issues tackled in big TV dramas you know because I think that when a comedy tackles an issue like a controversial issue like we were talking about like, like let's say the Me Too movement in Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm-hmm. I think when a comedy takes that on People pay more attention. Yeah. Because for it to, like, permeate the comedy world, like, you know that something big is happening. You and know I what think, I mean? And I think it's it's also because, like you said, comedy, like, on a Puritan-based level, like, people watch a comedy to laugh and escape. Mm-hmm. So it's like, the writers kind of use that to their advantage. So it's like, people are watching this because they want to because they, they see something funny. So it's like, yeah. let's tackle a big issue that they wouldn't have otherwise seen coming. And it's yeah. like... Oh, this was a, this was a light fun. This, this is a, this, this is a light fun half hour of TV, but I also learned something. Exactly, you know. And I think that when I say that comedy writers have an added pressure, I think that it's also because they have to they have to tackle these issues in a way that um, they're making you laugh, but not laugh at the issue. Yeah. So everything surrounding the issue can be funny, but the issue itself is not. Exactly. So we can make jokes surrounding that. Um, but not about the actual issue. In this case, the one I'm thinking of is sexual assault. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen that episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, even though if, even if you don't like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that episode is really really great. There's also an episode of the Will and Grace revival where they talk where they do there they tackle me too. Yeah. So um, that's it. I just personally I don't agree with this author, which is fine. We should maybe put the article on the blog. Yes. Um, so you can read it. Uh, let us know what you think. I don't agree. I think it's much harder to be a comedy writer than it is to be a drama writer. Well, hold on to your hats because I'm pretty sure Eleni is going to have an aneurysm at the last part of this of this article that I did not mention in rehearsal because we wanted to have her reaction to be genuine and uh, you know in the moment. Scared. So, um, what is it? The author concludes with the uh, the main her main issue with why she doesn't enjoy Gilmore Girls anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And so she says, the main issue, it, 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 quickly became, it quickly became clear, was Rory. Perfect little Rory, Rory who was so special, not just to everyone she knew, but to everyone she met. Rory found popular, good-looking boyfriends just by sitting under a tree. Rory was also willingly naive, and her naivete was only further proof of her innocence, her innate goodness. Rory didn't need to be friends. All she needed was more time with Rory. But I didn't give a shit about her, especially not when bratty, bossy, fantastic Paris Geller was right there. Okay. <laughs> um, She's suppressing her rage. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> That's not what the no. Hold on. <laughs> so, um, I don't necessarily disagree. Okay. Well, we no, we we've discussed at length prior to the to the to the birth of this podcast about Rory, but yeah. Um, it's like no, she's not wrong, but at the same she's point, she's not wrong, but but people kind of, I think people kind of read too much into Rory, in that sense, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think you just have to understand where Rory came from. Yeah, um, because anytime we have discussed this in the past before this podcast, Eleni's only yeah. retort was, "I don't think a lot of people understand why um, that Rory and Lorelai had a rough life." No, hold on, let me explain something. <laughs> this is my Eleni voice. You're terrible. Is, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, no, the what, the reason I say that is because I think the reason I say that a lot of people don't understand where Rory came from is that because she goes through life thinking she's special. Yeah, any kid is gonna go through life thinking they're special mm-hmm. if their entire fucking lives people told them they were special. Yeah, and I think that I think what you just said is more of like, I mean, again, in my head, I'm like, I always formulate things as like. I could write an essay about that because I feel right. like I feel like I could actually probably write an essay on like why Roy was like that. I can give you hundreds of examples you know? just in the first six episodes yeah, up until it's like, now. It's like that everyone people have been telling her that she's amazing, that she's great. Obviously, you're gonna get a complex. You yeah, know I, don't, I, mean? I don't think she had a big complex, but I feel like no, was, I don't think it was huge either. But I feel but. like a lot, and I'm, again, this author of this article is not the only person to ever have this perspective. But I feel like this perspective in particular comes from like. I don't know the approach that Rory is giving like millennial girls a bad name by saying by kind of like generalizing all girls of this generation or all girls of this caliber as yeah. being like Rory. So like they get mad because they don't think Rory is, is a worthy spokesperson. Yeah, shall we say? Um, but also something that just came to me is why is it that we love Paris for being amazing and knowing she's amazing and saying she's amazing. Quote, bratty, bossy, and fantastic Paris Geller. Okay, so why is it that we praise Paris, because I do it too, I love Paris. Yes. Why is it that we love Paris so much, um, even though she's like kind of a bully, even though she is bossy, whatever, but like she knows she's great and she doesn't back down from that. Mm-hmm. Like I love that, you know? Yeah. I love the fact that she's like... But I like, feel like Rory was like that too. But I feel like Rory was like, yeah, I'm great. And she showed it even less in Paris, but we're shitting on Rory more. Yeah, like Rory was kind of more of a, like an introverted Why? version of that, you know? So it's like maybe... Like honestly, guys, there's no winning. No, and I feel like... Because any- Paris gets shit for being like, oh, I'm Paris. Rory gets shit for not, like, thinking she's special but not saying she's special. Where, where is the where is the media... I'm, I'm starting to think that, like, women can be women. No, that's exactly what it's... Like, oh, okay. I feel like I feel it's like, not just me. No, I feel like... I'm going to say maybe, like, 99% of, like, criticisms... There's no of, Criticisms of female characters, if we chip away at it deep enough, it's like, okay... Like chip chip chip, and then we get we get down to like the you know the crystal at the bottom, and the crystal at the bottom of the rock is oh internalized misogyny. There it is. You yeah, know? there's no winning. 
And yeah. Rory's humble, we shit on her. Paris is bossy and like braggadocious, we shit on her. I don't know. I don't know what you guys want from them. Mm-hmm. They're just living their lives. I don't know. In conclusion, the author of this article says, and the more I thought about the show, the more issues I found. And she names a few different things, saying like Lane's family was a bit of a stereotype. Okay. It's true. True. Not lying. Um, and then she says, while I once used to brag that I knew about Melissa McCarthy before Bridesmaids, I now realize that one of America's greatest comic talents was basically wasted playing second fi- second fiddle to the manic pixie single mother. Well, we we have also said that they didn't. No, and I, Melissa McCarthy to her full potential. No, and, and, but the and, show wasn't about her. No, and if I may scroll back, if I may flip back to my notes from our very first uh, episodes, please do. Melissa McCarthy was always awesome. It just took the world a really long time to figure that out. There you go. So, been there, done that. Yeah, glamour. Thanks a lot. Um, and it's more just like again, it's one person's opinion. Yeah. And yeah. she says, "I thought the fast talking thing was so cool when I was younger, but once you've seen The West Wing rattling off a list of unconnected pop culture references, again, just with the drama, just isn't as impressive. So you're comparing it to more of a prestigious political drama, exactly. That was popular in the 2000s. To uh, I wonder you know, has the I wonder I, w- I would like to ask this author has The West Wing aged well? Probably not. Okay." Cool. But I don't think I think it's I think it's still popular. But it's because super it's, prestigious, right? Yeah. Like, make up your mind. And then, she, but she does say, but my opinion was apparently not the reaction of most fans. The Gilmore buzz grew so loud and reboots so profitable that new episodes on Netflix were announced. So this is from this article is from 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the death of Gilmore patriarch Edward Herman, fans were clear on what they wanted more of what they already had. Stars Hollow was unimaginable without Suki. So I what I and she says she predicts a cameo of Melissa McCarthy was uh, a cured, which was true in yeah. the end. Um, and so she says, season. She said the 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 tra- the the tagline for the trailer of a, of a year in the life was seasons may change, but some things never will. And she writes dot dot dot. Okay, not only is that a terrible line, but it belies the hypocrisy of bringing back a show like Gilmore. Why revisit characters if they're guaranteed to be just as just as we left them? Aren't they better left? And I feel like that doesn't... No. Th- I feel like this commentary doesn't age well, considering um, the Gilmore Girls revival kind of kicked off uh, a bit of a trend in reviving old TV shows. So I wonder if this... Uh, I wonder if this... I think this article... I think this author kind of is eating her words now, so... We should contact her. Yes. <laughs> if you're listening, do you want to be a guest on podcast? <laughs> Probably not, because just shout out, shout out no, her No, but I, I'm really... I'm just... I'm curious... I'm curious to hear more from her. But like, again, this was this three from, years later. Yeah, this is from three years ago, so we can only take it from what we knew in 2016. Yeah. But that's right. that. Well, so thanks sh- for sharing that. So shall we dive into episode seven of yeah. season one? So episode seven is called Kiss and Tell. And in this episode... Okay, well, I had it written down wrong in my notes. I had it written down as First Kiss. So the title is not First Kiss. It's Kiss, no. and, it's kiss and Tell. I'm wrong. Do I kick you off this podcast really now? Sh- I think you should. You're bar- see, you are Barbara kicking Rosie off the view. There we go. I'm Rosie, you're Barbara. Continue. So in my notes, I have... Uh, <laughs> in my notes, I have... Um, Eleni's going to get mad at me for this. No. But I have... Uh, <laughs> Why is it going to assume that? <laughs> well, okay. Just read your fucking notes. Everything about Roy and Dean's relationship seems so cute and simple in season one that you can't help but kind of feel like cozy and comforted. He was right, I'm getting mad. Can I finish my thought? Sorry. <laughs> like, nothing bad will ever happen even in Stars Hollow. Like, that's what I kind of get from it. I'm not saying I agree with, like, Rory and Dean being a good couple, because they're not. But, like, 
in season one, I just kind of get like, I'm whenever, like, see, like, okay. Gilmore Girls helps me fall. Words, Jeffrey. <laughs> Gilmore Girls helps me fall asleep at night. So, like, I always watch it before bed. So, like, I think that's kind of. What does kind that of, say about I you? I think that's kind of. Uh, yeah, good question. I think that kind of, like, ties into what I'm saying here is that, like, I, I get the sense that nothing in the beginning, the early seasons, I guess, nothing bad will ever happen to you in Stars Hollow. So, like, when I watch it, like, I feel comforted because, like. Yeah, it's like a utopia. Yeah. I get it. So that's what I mean when I say like Roy and Dean's relationship seems like so cute and pure in season one. Yeah. Like nothing bad is ever gonna happen to them. I get oh it. wait, someone's nephew. They break up three times. Someone's <laughs> nephew comes knocking on the door, but we'll get to that later. Oh my god! I told you he would work just into every fucking conversation. Pretty sure this I is the said it. I said it, <laughs> and I was right. Pretty sure this is the first time I mentioned him since no, the, no, since the no, intro episode. No, Thank you. No, very no, much. no, 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 no. That's not true, and I will prove it to you <laughs> later. Okay. Oh my god. Thoughts? Rage? No, so thoughts. Okay, so... Yeah, because in this episode, Rory... Um, it's right after the birthday episode where Dean gives her a gift, and Rory goes into the into Dosie's market, and Dean kisses her. And she ah, runs yes. out of Dosie's market with a box of cornstarch. <laughs> the first thing I have written down before the point I just read is the cornstarch. The cornstarch, I just yeah. have the cornstarch. It becomes a... Um, a thing later on <laughs> um yeah so she runs to lane's house and she's like lane i got kissed and i shoplifted side point side note yes that line always sticks out in my head because in the first episode of the year in the life they do like they as the like the the the, the credits are rolling the opening credits they like show all like a compilation of all the different quotes from over the years and yeah like, that one's part of it so i always think of that yeah continue um yeah so dean kisses her and she says thank you by the way and then she leaves um so what did i think of dean and rory in this episode i didn't think anything bad to be honest with you no i was like no it's okay (laughs) for now it's okay it's okay for now (laughs) like i'm okay with it for now um i did think it was weird that um like they didn't discuss it no you don't think so like you think you think it's weird that they didn't discuss it at all? Like, I mean, later on, you know, because he goes to their house to watch Willie, and they're just, like, kissing now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, what, they're 15, 16, they're 16? They're 16, 16 yeah. so, like, what do you expect from... What? I don't know, maybe I'm just hating on Dean. Like, yeah, I think you are. <laughs> like, it's like, what, what What? do you expect from two white kids on the, on the WB in 2000 to, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Um... Anyways, so Lane, uh, Rory ends up telling Lane, but she doesn't want to tell her mother. No, but that scene where she tells Lane um, gets one of my favorite quotes from this episode. Oh and my god, I think from, I know what it is. And that's from the whole show. I think I know what it because is. Because it just kills me every single time. What is it? I think I know. So Rory is telling Lane about the kiss in, obviously, at Lane's house, which is Kim's Antiques. And she says, I can't believe he kissed me. And then Mrs. Kim comes I knew up, it. I knew it. Mrs. Kim comes up behind her and is like, <laughs> who, who kissed you? Who kissed you? And the Lane's, Lord, Mama. Yeah. Lord, Lane <laughs> says, the uh, Lord, Mama. Oh, good. And she walks away. Like, I think that's less creepy. Kills me every time. And then every time I tell Elaine about that, like if I'm watching the episode and I text her that the next day, she comes back with her one of her favorite um, Lane, Mrs. Kim kind of quotes, which is not doesn't, doesn't involve Mrs. Kim, but involve Lane. And she's like, it's from the one of the first episodes of this, of this first season, and Lorelai opens be- Roy's bedroom door, and she's like, Lane is in there dancing, and she's like, 
Lola says, where does your mother think you are? On a park bench. Com- what, on a park bench. Contemplating the reunification of the two Koreans. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, it kills me every time. Yeah. Lane had some great one-liners. And, like, that's kind of, I mean, I understand what that, what that author meant when she said, like, Lane's family is stereotypical. But, like, I also kind of, like, think they're... Like I, I don't know any other really any other show of this caliber that has like an Asian family tackling like Asian. Not at that time. No. You know when when straight off the boat was it straight off the boat? Fresh off the boat. Fresh off straight off the boat. Because <laughs> the theme song is straight out of Compton. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fresh off the boat first came out. Um, it was great because it was an all Asian cast and was talking about the immigrant experience and whatever. This was maybe what fifteen years before that, and yeah. like two Korean people are getting actually is Lane Korean. In real life. In real life, Kiko Ajena is not Korean. I think she's like a Korean, like a what's we'll the Asian. Anyways, it's. She's, I think at this time in the early two thousands, it was very rare to see two Asian characters. Yeah. Um, portrayed so prominently. And like kind of tackling, kind of I think just tackling like you see throughout the entire show like, um, just the I don't know how to describe it, but like the. I'm strict isn't even the right word. Let me say like the stifling mm-hmm. um, conservative values upheld yeah. by Mrs. Kim, but like Mrs. Kim is, is is representing the strict stifling values held in general by that yeah, but, by that by that culture, right? But also, how is it different from what Emily is doing? It's not. So it's, it's it's you know. So why is it a stereotype when the Asian people do it? Exactly. Anyways, but Amy, um, Amy Sherman Palladino had us there with the contracts, which we which you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so she tells Lane, but she doesn't want to tell her mother. Um, and she says it's because she has a lot going on right now, but I don't know if that's true. No, I think it was just like, it's okay. So in my opinion, that kind of whole thing reminds me of, like, for me, like, if I'm, t- if I, if I'm saying something out loud, it's true. You know what I mean? So, like, there's times where, like, something will happen or, like, I, I don't want to talk about it because as soon as I, sp- I talk about it out loud, it's real. It's true. It's happening. Right. So it's okay. like... Maybe it's part of that with her, I don't know. But, like, it reminds... Just, like, when you go and you tell... Like, when something that crucial happens to you, it's, like, as soon as you talk... as soon as, Well, it's happened. But as soon as you, like, accept that it's happened, it's, like, talking about it with someone who, like, whose opinion you trust and obviously whose opinion you value, e.g. your parents, like, or your mother in this case. Like, I think Roy was hesitant to talk about it with Lorelai because it was, like such a big life moment where she didn't when she didn't know how to react yeah you know i think and talking about it would have made it more real yeah but i think it's also the fact that rory's like yeah like you said it's the first time it's happened she's never really been interested in boys before and she's like she doesn't know how to talk about it because she doesn't know how to deal with it yet mm-hmm. you know um i don't think she's purposely keeping something from her mother no. But lorelei then goes like why didn't she tell me because lorelei ends up finding out from mrs kim who maybe didn't believe that she was kissed by Jesus, the Lord, or whatever. Yeah, and that was like, like that's kind of a bit of an introduction to our, in our like an introduction to the window of Mrs. Kim, where like she kind of flips back and forth, where she's like, kind of, I'm guessing, slut shaming Rory for like kissing someone in the market, like yeah. in the grocery store. Buy our food there. Yeah, in the grocery store. Like, and she's just, and she's just like so. She's up, outraged. You no, know, and she's yeah. like, and she's so outraged, and she's uptight and anxious over that being imposed on her daughter, and it's like. Um, like your your child's sixteen, living in the states. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? Yeah, like it's yeah. like shouldn't have sex. Yeah. Relax. I think we'll 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 get. I think we'll we'll get into that more in a future episode mm-hmm. where um, Rory and Dean go to the movies with right 
Lane and one of Dean's friends who Lane wanted him to him to fix him fix her up with, and yeah. the whole thing blows up. We kind of and Lorelai and Mrs. Kim have words, yeah. so we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But um, that being said, Mrs. Kim tells Lorelai about the kiss. And Lorelai is left to wonder why her daughter didn't tell her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a continuation of the birthday party where first she sees Dean giving her a gift, um, you know. But I don't think Lorelai was that anxious or uptight over it because, like, the way she ended up addressing it is, like, Rory's in the fridge and she comes behind her and she's like, so, kiss any boys lately? Yeah, but before that, don't you remember? She, like, went to the market to spy on on Dean and True. Luke is there and she's like why didn't she tell me and Luke yeah. I, I was really surprised that Luke was the one talking her down and all of this like she's so growing like, up yeah so I think like she had a reaction like why didn't she tell me and she's like okay fine we're talking about this shit let's but go but that's home. the thing I think the reaction was to say oh my god why didn't she tell me and be anxious about that and be like you know that's not me and Rory that's me and my mother and then True. be like well you know what what does my mother do she doesn't talk about shit I'm just gonna go talk about it yeah. You know, and that's why I think she was like, so, kissed any cute boys lately? Because she doesn't want to be like her mother. Yeah. What was it that we said last week? Repressed, what was it? A bubble of, of emotional repression. Exactly. Lorelai doesn't want that. So, um, that's why I think she tackled it head on. So then, um, Lorelai ends up inviting Dean to the house to watch Willy Wonka. In my notes. Charlie have, and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Sorry. In my notes, I have written down, Willy Wonka movie night equals so cute. Because apparently I'm, a, I'm apparently I am a sap for Willy Wonka movie nights. All right, <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, it was Willy Wonka was my favorite growing up, so I guess I have like a soft spot for just. Charlie. It was a great yeah. movie. I'm not gonna lie, it was a great movie. And I, and it's funny because remember the first time that I watched, the first time I was watching the first season like ever. Um, I was like they were talking about like watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I was like. Why wouldn't they watch that one? Why wouldn't they watch this, the Johnny Depp one? And then I was like, this is 2000. The, yeah. Johnny, the, Johnny, the Johnny Depp one doesn't exist yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jeffrey, so much to learn. <laughs> um, so Rory's freaking out because Lorelai invited him. What would you do if your mother invited somebody you liked over? I'd probably, like, peel off my skin and, like, <laughs> just <laughs> tear myself into, into a million little pieces and just disintegrate onto the floor. All right. So, Deborah, don't do that. <laughs> Um, but it is weird. Like, hey, you want to come over? It's weird, but I don't feel like it's, yeah, okay. I feel So I think this, hold on, I think this is where people have a, a problem with, remember the first, I think it was our first podcast episode where it was like, unpopular opinions that every Gilmore Girls fan knows to be true, where somebody said that Lorelai and Rory's relationship was straight up creepy. Yeah. I don't think it's creepy, it's but not. I do That's, think it's a little bit weird that your mother's like. No, creepy is the wrong word, but at the same yeah, time, yeah, creepy is the wrong word. It's too harsh of a word. Yeah, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't, I don't really get like inappropriate vibes from that because like I, like, I would expect something less from Rory. And no, Lola, but I'm just know? thinking like if my mother invited somebody I liked over, first of all, I wouldn't even tell my mother that I like somebody. <laughs> Second of all, if my mother, so that's step one, the where our relationships are very different. But if somehow my mother got a hold of that information and invited mm-hmm. that person to our house um and then like subtly left the movie and went into the kitchen to read a magazine like you know what i mean yeah and then when i was in the bathroom had like a talk with him about like if you hurt her this whole town is gonna be against you kind of thing i feel like if you dial it back yeah i feel like at this point we're like we're dialing it back to a neutral a neutral standpoint where it's like mother traditional expectations of mother daughter traditional expectations of daughter and 
boy daughter like it's like yeah. we're, we're stripping it down to like we to characters without names almost or it's like this or it's like this is what this is what would happen in real life but it's like when you're watching this episode it's like this seems normal because we know because we know how they are because seven episodes in we already we, we know how Lorelai and Rory are yeah that being said though I do think it, I still think it's creepy that she was like if you hurt her everyone in this town is going to be against you I didn't find it creepy but I did but that, that but but that whole perspective which that which we learn as as this, the show goes on that the whole town up, up, upholds over over Rory yeah um I feel like that kind of contributes to uh Rory being special yeah for sure and I feel like that's kind of true of any child born out of like a teen pregnancy or like a an un, like a young un, unplanned pregnancy where it's like the you know the um what's the word like the higher ups shall we say know that or sense that the that this you know this girl's upbringing could go either way so it's like they kind of step in and remind her you're special don't let anyone ever tell you you're not mm-hmm. special yeah so it's like where we draw the line between your special snowflake your, culture b- between yeah between coddling and you're actually special like I don't yeah. think Roy was unspecial but you know but let's dial it down a notch yeah basically anyway so I thought that was a little off but um and then at the end when Lorelai is like I just I didn't I don't understand why you didn't tell me. I wish you would have told me. Mm-hmm. And then Rory like settles into her bed and was like, "Okay, I was in the market." And then she starts <laughs> telling her. It's like I would never do that with my mother. Again, I, I understand it's not the same kind of relationship, but and maybe there are people out there that have that kind of relationship with their mother. Yeah. Um, which is great, but. But again, I feel like people who refer who might refer to Lorelai and Rory's relationship as creepy, mm-hmm. quote unquote, like they hate their mothers. Yeah, or they like, had a Mrs. Kim mother. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, but even then, I don't feel like Lane would describe herself as hating her mother. You know, like no, I, feel no, like, no. I feel like it comes from a place of I don't know, like repression. N- maybe, but I feel like it's like people who have that perspective are not don't strike me as people who like settle into the world of a show. Like they watch it from a neutral point of view, mm-hmm. where it's like this this would never happen in real life. That's creepy. Yeah. That's not normal. Like, but people who you know, like, kind of sink into the, sink into a show like Quicksand, where it's like you're into it, and like these like you, these characters are like the back of your hand. It's oh like, yeah, you're like, oh, this is totally Lorelai and Rory. Exactly. Like, yeah. you, like you said, yeah. like you said in the last episode, like I know Lorelai. She would not do that. Yeah, like, I know. I like, know we have, co- we have coffee every week, even though My she doesn't God. exist. Yeah, we we're we're besties. <laughs> um, so but, it's like, I feel like, it's, I feel like, it's like there's, a, there's a divide between how you watch TV. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say about this episode was, I think Lorelai sees a lot of Christopher and Dean. Probably. Like the bad boy with the leather jacket who has a motorcycle and then and then. Which we don't get to until later, right? No, for sure. But um, it's Rory's first boyfriend. Lorelai, Christopher was Lorelai's first boyfriend. They're about the same age. She's scared. I think she's just terrified. Probably. Even though I think she doesn't admit it to herself, she's like, Rory's a good girl. I, I think she's still terrified. Yes, and but on mm, okay, I agree, but I also like I feel like I feel like Lorelai herself is also divided on where she stands with her daughter because yeah. once obviously once she accepted the money from her parents to send her to Chilton, it was like this whole new anxiety was being was being presented of like I might lose I might eventually lose my daughter to a different world to this world the, yeah. to the world that I 
left. that I left, I ran away from, I, and I could never picture my daughter living in. So I feel like she has this anxiety over that, but she also obviously knows her daughter. So like she, so like I think Lorelai is conflicted between what she wants to think and what she wants to feel. I I don't disagree. So like, and I and I feel like in those moments is when we is when at least me when I watch is like I'm reminded wow. Lorelai is so emotionally immature. Well, so, we knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> but in those, it's, it's those moments where, like, she's, yeah, it's those moments where it's really where obvious. she's where she's conflicted as a parent and conflicted as a person. Yeah, it's like because okay. on the one hand she doesn't want to smother her daughter like her mother did to her, but on the other, I think she realizes that she can't be too much of a friend either. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's about finding that balance. And I don't think personally. I don't think. Maybe that's where maybe that's where the meme say it's creepy because I don't think Lorelai ever finds that balance. No, I feel mm-hmm. like the I feel like maybe part of the charm and quirkiness of the show is that there is no balance. There is yeah. no there the lines are so far blurred you can't like you don't even see. Them. Actually, I think that part of the reason why the fight in season five, end of season five, season six was actually so hard for Lorelai was because it was the first time in her life that she really had to put her foot down as a parent, and she didn't know how. Which is. It's a, it's, but well, it's, first of all, she didn't know how because her daughter never gave her any trouble, right? Yeah. But she also didn't know how because she never, she was never a, quote, real parent to mm-hmm. her. So I think that's why she had such a hard time with it. Yeah, and I don't think, like, in terms of, like, let's say if we, if we, if we like, pit Rory and Lorelai against each other, it's like, neither, neither is going to win because they're so similar, right? Yeah. But, the sa- but at the same time... Like Lorelai was too young. Like that, like that's where like it's creep. Maybe it's creepy because like you don't. We don't ever. See, we've never really seen like the dynamics of like a teen pregnancy played out in that way. You know, like we, we might know. We might see, like we might see that played out in real life in our family or like someone we know. But like in terms of like a, t- a fictional television show starring white people, <laughs> we don't really ever see that dynamic. A television show starring <laughs> white people that exists. What? <laughs> Um, I don't think we. I, th- I, th- I feel like that's part of again what contributes to its charm and quirkiness is that like Gilmore Girls presents this dynamic that we think we know because oh mother and daughter, you know dynamics are like that among white people, mm-hmm. but like the the their <laughs> dynamic goes much deeper than that and it's like Lorelai doesn't know how to be a parent anymore than any more than she knows how to be a friend. That was very well said. <laughs> Congrats on that! <laughs> Woo. Great. So, should we move on to episode eight? If we have, if there's nothing else to say about Lorelai's Lore- pop psychology, then we'll move on. We will move on to love and war and snow. This episode gets its title from the fact that there's a reenactment in town yes. of the legendary Battle of Stars Hollow. And Luke is so bitter about it. Luke is fucking pissed because I get it because there's no actual... First of all, I think reenactments in general... Are stupid. Yeah. What are you doing, Southern people? <laughs> you lost the Civil War. Every time... We, what are you doing? Every time like I see I, like there's either this episode or some sort of portrayal of a reenactment on TV... Or in anything, I um, I always think of the movie Sweet Home Alabama. Oh with, my God! Yes, with Reese Witherspoon, where oh <laughs> literally like half the whole half the town half partici- the town's missing. participates in this like 
big reenactment in a field well, and she's like Lorelai was saying she's like there goes the fire police the fire department the chief of police the yeah. only ambul- the only paramedic with a valid driver's license yeah <laughs> what are you doing and by the way this battle was not even a battle because the story goes that um the american soldiers stood outside every day every day uh, all night mm-hmm. is what i meant to say waiting for the red coats and the red coats never showed pretty much what the fuck that's what you need to reenact like that i think that's like kind of contributes to the big inside joke that is stars hollow yeah probably yeah if we could sum up stars hollow in one scene because i feel like i think i I think i might have mentioned this before like the first time that i watched gilmore girls like for at least for like the first four or five seasons i felt like the show was one big inside joke that i wasn't in on yet yeah so the more but the more i watched it the more i understood yeah the more i'm like yeah i get this i totally get you know but the first time but the first time you're like what you know um Um, i don't care how many times i watch this episode reenactments will always be stupid considering as you said reenactments are associated with like the southern states and connecticut is not a southern state so it's like uh maybe no we don't do that well anytime i've seen a like a or heard of a reenactment i've always um it's always been in the context of southerners reenacting the civil war number one i don't know what you get out of that you lost the civil war (laughs) You lost a war that um, glorified slavery. Yeah, to them it's probably like, well, again, it's how they No, but they always say it's our tradition. Yeah, but your tradition was slavery. (laughs) Do you see how other people see that? Yeah, but again, like, conservative, traditional, emotional repression. Uh, Stop fucking (laughs) reenacting. Just, that's my advice to you. Emotional emotional repression knows no bounds. See? Stop reenacting. (laughs) That's all I have to say. So, is this episode, I'm not not 100% sure, but is this episode... The first appearance of a town meeting? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, in my notes I wrote down because I was as I was watching and writing, I wrote, town hall meetings uh, seem like one of those things that only exist on television. Yeah. Because, like, I'm sure they, they, they might exist. I'm sure we have, like, council meetings. Like, yeah, they do. Like, their council meetings. That for sure exists. Like, Never gone to one. Different. Am di- I a terrible member of society? Di- yeah, different town, count, different town council meetings for sure exist, but, like the town <laughs> this is like theater almost yeah i feel like town meetings in the context of stars hollow is just like no doesn't it? like the like, whole like, town shows up <laughs> it's crazy and i love when like <laughs> lorelei and rora like sneak food in and like people get pissed and she's like they don't she's they, like, they, they don't care like yeah, no, I don't care. you know um, i aspire to have that level of not give a fuck you yeah know? it's true yeah speaking of not giving a fuck something that i didn't mention last week was that um I don't know why this just came to me, but you know how um, Emily, when the party is happening and she's like in complete control and she's like, those candlesticks need to be six inches apart. Those cheeses need to be put in individual bags. Like I strive to have that much confidence. Like when I talk to somebody, right? Like not let somebody like walk all over me. Oh, it's okay. No. Like I would like, if I'm paying for something, like that's my goal I yeah. think, this year. If I'm paying for something, um, do it the way I want. I'm not saying go to the extreme of Emily. Like no. she ends up yelling, like for God's sakes, what I have to get to put the damn cheese in it, damn individual bag. Like no, I'm not gonna be that extreme. But why is it that I'm always? I think you're like this too. Why is it that I'm always nervous, like, to say something, especially when I'm paying for something? Yeah, I feel like. In, I mean, I can't speak for you, but in my opinion, in my case, it's like for a while like i might have like internalized like negative self-talk where it was like yeah like you're being ridiculous or you're like you know you're not and more like 
a bit of that like negative like negative self-talk i wasn't and i wasn't confident enough to like be you know be like that but like i think in turn i think in terms of just having the confidence to ask for ask for what you want or deserve it's like i feel like most maybe not most people but like a lot of people like feel like like feel like that because like they don't like they don't they don't believe in their in 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 their heart that like they deserve to take up space so it's like you know so like like for me i'm not rich like emily exactly so it's like (laughs) for me like i i i'll have to remind myself that like um you deserve to take up the space i do i find myself doing that too sometimes like you deserve you deserve like like we as humans deserve the space to be human yeah you know i find like sometimes i i since I've been back, like, from New Brunswick, I've been, um... Yes, Eleni used to live in a very small town, which, which is which is what she's referenced in past episodes. Yeah. And it was nothing like Stars Hollow. <sighs> we get it. <laughs> um, but since I've been back, I know... More like, flashbacks. I know, it's so... It's like PTSD. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been, like, sometimes, just for example, like, sitting around the table, mm-hmm. and, like, I'll say something, and my brother will be like, I'm speaking. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, and when in reality, I want to be like, yeah so am i like you know i don't know i feel like i need to i need to find my inner emily gilmore yeah and maybe it also like maybe it also comes from like as like as you're growing up like yeah probably people, like people like stop people people like you try to talk and people walk all over you so it's like you kind yeah. of like and when you're young like you don't know any better so like you kind of internalize that yeah. reaction so it's like okay fuck me then i guess yeah like, it's like oh fuck <laughs> off. yeah sorry I, that was a bad tangent <laughs> anyways going back to these reenactors um this is the epi- the first episode that we see Max um since um the the cat funeral. True. Yeah. So I wrote my own notes return of the Max. That's right. Re- yes. Yeah. So Max gets stranded in Stars Hollow in a snowstorm and Lorelai sees him. Right. And magic ensues. <laughs> yes, because ma- magic because I think was this was this not was this not also our first glimpse into Lorelai and Snow? Where it's yeah, like, so it's our first time seeing Lorelai's obsession with snow. Yeah. So I have to say something. She's right. Well, you can smell the snow. It's true. I don't know who says that you can't smell the snow. By the way, you're people, crazy. People, people who who contribute to that Buzzfeed list where they call it creepy. Yeah. Well, you can definitely smell the snow. <laughs> um, we live in Montreal. We definitely know what we're talking about. Um, I used to have a magical experience with snow too. I used to love snow. Yeah. And the reason I say I used to love snow, highlight, underlined, italics, and bold, is because I moved to northern New Brunswick. Mm. <laughs> so we're used to getting snow here. Like when we get 30 centimeters, like, oh shit, 30 centimeters, whatever. I shit you not. A snowstorm in New Brunswick is like. 70 to 75 centimeters at one point i got 85 centimeters this year i like to the point where like we would not go into work because who's going to work well yeah because oh my god (laughs) that's terrible when we get 30 to 35 centimeters here it's like things are closed yeah no one's no one don't leave your house 40 like i think the most i've seen in montreal of course it was worse when i was younger um, and we did have that big ice storm in 98 but um like 50 Maybe remember about that freak one in March of one year, yeah. and it was like fifty centimeters. Yeah, guys, eighty-five centimeters. Nobody blinks in New Brunswick, and that pisses me off. Yeah, see, you shouldn't be okay with that. It, like, I, I honestly forget, like, 
like the most of most of Canada is like that, and like, yeah. and like that's what people, yeah, like that's what like either Americans or people who aren't Canadian, that's what they mean when they stereotype Canada as like cold and yeah. snow. Because it's like um, if you live in Alberta or Manitoba, like buckle up. But like, oh, yeah, we're you, talking minus forty five. You know, but like, we get that here sometimes. Yeah, but I feel like you know Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, like is more in the neutral zone where it's like. It, yes, it can be very bad, but not as bad as other parts of Canada. Yeah. So we're probably lucky. I'm grateful to be back. Yes. Yeah. But moral moral of the story is you can definitely smell the snow. So Lorelai is not nuts. She's not crazy. She's not crazy. Um, so Lorelai's taking a walk in the snow and sees Max. Yes. And it's so magical. It's so magical. <laughs> they go to a movie. They eat a Fiesta burger at Owl's Pancake World. Another thing that that wouldn't that doesn't exist outside of television, right? <laughs> um, they go back to her house and make out heavy. Where then they find Lane. Poor Lane. In Rory's bedroom. I literally wrote in all caps, "Poor Lane, third wheeling it." <laughs> yeah, like prior to that, prior to Max and Lorelai's big tralala. Tralala. Um, <laughs> That's what Jeffy calls it. Tralala. <laughs> Jeffy's like, "Oh, fucking straight people." <laughs> They're tralalas. <laughs> um, sh- lo- uh, oh, what happened? So. Laura, uh, Rory, well, Lorelai and Rory were supposed to go to Hartford for the Friday night dinner, but yeah. um, because of the snow, Emily told Lorelai not to come, and Rory was stranded there, so they didn't. So Lorelai was absent. However, um, prior to that happening, Lane had Lane had spent the entire episode trying to talk to Rory about about this crush that she had. Yes, yeah. and what and she so what she ended up hap- what ended up happening was she loved Rich Blumenfeld's hair. And Shout so, out Rich Broomfield. So she touches his hair w- without his permission, as in her words. No, no, she doesn't touch it, guys. <laughs> she like she runs her hand, her fingers through it. So then like, she's like full on what you would do to like a lover after sex. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's mortified, runs runs to Rory's house where she's not there. Yeah. And I think that I think um, Lane being stuck in Rory's bedroom waiting for her to come home is like kind of just the culmination of everything that had been happening in their friendship in that whole episode where like Lane was feeling that you know Roy went, Roy started a new private school in another town yeah. had got a boyfriend now it's like and throughout that whole episode we can say that Roy was being an asshole yeah because she's not listening to her she goes to meet Dean at the bus stop yeah. she's like gives him cookies they kiss right in front of her <laughs> like so shut up <laughs> In my notes, I wrote down, I always feel so badly in this episode. I yeah. think everyone knows what it feels like to feel, quote, left behind by a mm-hmm. close friend who's moving on to bigger things. So it's like... Oh, yes. So it's like, I don't think this episode was, like, the end of Laura, uh, Rory and Lane's friendship by any by any definition. But, like, in my like in my experience, anytime something like that happened, it was like, okay, great, see ya. You're leaving my life now? Like, I guess yeah. that's, I guess that's what this is? Yeah, well, remember, Lane didn't get a boyfriend until season three. Can we even call him a boyfriend? Dave Rogowski? Yeah. Was I like, that was... Yes. Okay. Yes. If, yeah. Okay. You know who wasn't a boyfriend? Henry Cho. True. I was, okay, I was, th- I was thinking of Henry Cho. That we will get to. I was thinking of Henry Cho. Pardon me. He was not a boyfriend. Um, yeah, I always feel really bad. And just because we were talking about last week how sometimes we have these moments of we know what time period we're in. Yeah. Rory still has a pager. <laughs> I, I have that in my notes. Okay, I said, <laughs> I, <laughs> I said, pagers are an unknown dimension to me. Can you imagine if we still had those today? I remember pagers. My dad used to have a pager. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I'm pre- my dad had one too, but I don't remember. I remember I was, it. I was too well, young. Well, I'm older than you. Yes. I'm like four years older than you. 
But yeah, my dad just sent a picture. Like, I'm guessing it's just the equivalent of like texting someone now. Like, not hey, really. Like, hey, can you call me? Kind of, but in a but in yeah, a yeah. But it's like you. Anyways, there's like a limit of how many characters. Okay. And like normally, then it's just the number, like call this number, kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Or like oh like like um, I think Rory says like lane nine one one or something like like. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so pagers, Jesus, blast from the past. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Rory is stuck in Hartford with her grandparents, and um, we got to see them together, right. like all three of them together without Lorelai, and that was nice, I find. Yeah, like it, again, it's kind of like, it comes and goes, you know, like it's, they're having a nice moment, and like Rory brings down the photo album. Oh yeah, so Rory brings down a photo album, and um... Which like, innocently, right? Like any kid would do, like whenever I went to my grandparents' house, I was like obsessed with, oh I was obsessed with- To this day, I still pull that photo, and I'm like, yeah, who's this? <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but I feel like it makes sense. Like, Rory wants to know where she came from, you know, because Rory feels like there's this whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, her mother lived this whole other life. Um, but she did because, like, I've, I've, I've said it before, like, Lorelai did a very good job at keeping Rory separate. Both separate, yeah, exactly. Um, but the moment is spoiled when they see an, ep- uh, an episode. They see a picture of Lorelai in her coming out dress for her, mm-hmm. like, cotillion, I guess. And Richard gets all quiet, and they're like, no, she never had one. Um, because, like... You. Yeah, <laughs> and like I think, good thing you brought that up because when I the last time I watched that episode, um, I I it, it read that scene with the picture of Lorelai and her coming out dress like that re- registered to me as like a foreshadow to the flashback episode in season three. Yes, very good. Episode, where, by the way. um, young where young Lorelai is like getting into her, getting into that dress, and I. I, like, I only recently, like, I only recently put those two together where it was like, oh, she never had it because they found out she was pregnant and yeah. that was that, you know? So it was like, but, but in that flashback, like, she's trying to fit into the dress and, like, Emily is, like, being so, like, body shaming. She's like, yeah. put, put on your sweats and go right around the block. Like, oh my God, that's like, that's the equivalent of, like, giving your daughter, like, a diet bar. Like, oh, did I tell you, you that know? my grandmother wants to buy me a dietitian? You did tell me that. Okay. Shout out, Grandma. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but anyways. So same um, thing. You know what you know what Emily was doing when she oh, said 100%. that. Oh, one hundred percent. Emily and my grandmother should get together. Um, this is the first episode where we also see. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say the first episode, but we see Lorelai and Max walking through the snow, and then Luke sees them, and he gets upset. Yeah. So, side note. Well, not side note because it goes along with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The. I, one of my friends who was actually I think she started watching it like right the show like a few months before me so like we were kind of watching it more or less at the same time she was a few seasons ahead when I started but she she used to tell me that she like until Luke and Lorelai get together in season four episode 22 yes end of season four um she didn't she like not not say she didn't see she didn't see the signs but like she didn't uh, she didn't like get them as a couple like she didn't understand like why I've you know to people who say the same thing actually and like, yeah and, I've, and I've, i feel like there's two schools of thought yeah two camps you're either like lorelei luke forever till we die and you were waiting for them to get together and when they finally kissed you're like oh my god finally mm-hmm. or you're like all right what else yeah <laughs> So I, I I don't know I maybe she maybe my friend fell somewhere in between because she was yeah. like she wasn't against Luke and Laura but like she didn't understand she like didn't think of it yeah yeah so but like with that like and that you know you know whenever you hear someone else's opinion you you kind of have that in your head the next time you watch it right so you're like who's wrong who's right kind of thing yeah um, 
So the last time I was watching that episode, I was like, okay, Luke and Lorelai were, like, obvious from, obviously, like, episodes before this happened. It's like, Well, I mean, you know? he looks so fucking upset. Did you see his face? Yeah, and, like, when, well, later, well, end of season one, beginning of season two, when they get engaged, like... Don't when, even when, get me started when Ma- I mean, lots. when Max and Lorelai get engaged, like... Yeah. They have like they basically have a pissing contest. Yeah, and Rory and Rory tells uh, Lorelai, she's like, everyone knows Luke has a thing for you. So it was like, and, but until that moment, it was like nobody ever said that out loud. So it's like, hello. Lorelai's so oblivious to certain things. Though. She's not oblivious. Lorelai's just like on her in her Lorelai world. Like. All right, we'll leave that there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I remember thinking, poor Luke. It was probably the so first it was like poor Luke and poor Lane. Yeah, it was like a sad <laughs> episode. Yeah. Fucking Lane. Who runs their fingers through yeah. somebody's hair? But if I may reference um, another BuzzFeed article that I've mentioned before. Oh my before. god, with the BuzzFeed, we're terrible. Yeah, I know. This one, as I've, this one, as I've mentioned before, is called 293 Thoughts I Had While Watching Gilmore Girls for the First Time. Mm-hmm. And um, this author wrote for this episode, still not sure I like Lane yet, but I do agree that Rich Blumenfeld has most excellent hair. He did have really great so, hair. So, like, I'm guessing either you don't like Lane or you haven't bought into... The show yet? Like you can, everyone can agree. Rich Blumenfeld has amazing hair. I agree. We should title this episode "Rich Blumenfeld's Amazing Hair." We should. <laughs> Shout out to Rich Blumenfeld. And R.I.P. Claudia. <laughs> Don't bring that up again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Claudia. All right, so I think we could wrap this up. I have an episode of The View to go watch. Oh, of course you do. <sighs> Listen, I gotta see what kind of shenanigans Megan McCain got up to today. We can conclude with. This author of this list, um, he he says a best his favorite line in each episode. And for season one, episode eight, he writes his favorite his favorite line was when Lane says, "You have everything now, and I have nothing except for two thousand Korean Bibles and a potential F and jazz band." Like that really, like you know, jazz band. It's close to home, I guess. I'm not in jazz band or Korean, but I understand what she means. Yeah. Like, listen, bitch, you got everything, and I'm I'm still here. Yeah. I know. So poor Lane. Poor Lane. We love Maybe her. we should title it that. Yeah, we love her. We'll figure out a title. <laughs> See you guys next time.